you got a Bible this morning, uh, open that thing up, and I'm going to have you go ahead and turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6 this morning. Again, thank you for being here. We're, we're three weeks in a series called The Way of a Disciple, and, and what we want to do is open our Bibles and, and examine what this thing of discipleship is all about biblically. Uh, and, and God's Word has much to say about being a disciple. As a matter of fact, that word is used almost 300 times. Some variation of that word, disciple or disciples, is used almost 300 times in the Word of God. And so what we're doing every week is just we're landing in a spot that talks about disciples. Now, the first week in the series, we, we were all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. And, and it's interesting that God even uses the word disciple in the Old Testament context concerning the nation of Israel and Isaiah and his ministry to Israel right before the Babylonian captivity. And, and, and this is just history and, and, again, what we've covered already. But, but what we saw in that, in that study two weeks ago was that there were some key characteristics that in the very beginning God painted about a disciple, a follower of Christ. And, and, and what we learned is four things, and I'll give them to you very quickly just for review. Number one, we learned from the Old Testament passage in Isaiah 8 that disciples, biblical disciples, are receptive to God's words. And, and, and if we're going to be a follower of Christ, we have to be like Isaiah. Isaiah had ears to hear what God had to say. And so if we're truly following Christ, we have ears to hear what he said. And, and I've already prayed for you this morning. I hope you've prayed for yourself. Because God's going to speak to us through his word. And wisdom says that if I want to be a disciple, I need to be ready to hear from him. Amen? And so I've prayed for you, and, and now you need to pray for you. And I hope you already prayed, and I hope you came prepared. Biblical disciples are receptive to God's words. The way we measure if we're a disciple is if we receive God's words or reject God's words. That answers whether we're just a believer in Christ or we actually are following Christ. It, it has everything to do with his words. And then, and then we learned two weeks ago that biblical disciples have a right walk. And, and God was charging Isaiah in the midst of a backslidden nation. Hey, don't walk like them. And also don't walk like the, the, the Babylonian captors that are about to take over your people. Your walk should be different because you follow God's words. And so if we don't look any different than the lost world, it, asks, it begs the question, are we really following Christ? Now, you can, you can, you can try to legalize that, like, like you know, with a certain haircut, or if you have facial hair or not facial hair, that makes you spirit. None of that stuff is, is right. Following Christ is not some legalistic standard that we hold. Following Christ is just responding rightly to his word and letting his word change us, right, from the inside out. And, and it'll change our walk. Our walk ought to be bringing us closer to Christ every day, or if we're not really following, it moves us further away from Christ. And, and we talked about that. And then thirdly, biblical disciples reverence God's person, and, and we learned that, that in Isaiah's life, he had these captors that were about to come in and, and take Israel captive, destroy the temple, all the different things, and it would be easy to be fearful of the enemy, right? And, and sometimes in our own Christian walk, we actually fear the devil, and we fear the world, and sometimes even the, the, the sin tendencies of our flesh, we fear those things more than God. And, and God would say, let's have a right fear of the Lord. Let's have a right reverence of God, and if we reverence Him and fear Him rightly, we don't have to fear anything else. 
I don't have to fear the devil. I don't have to fear what the world can do to me. And I don't have to fear my own flesh. I just need to fear the Lord. And that'll put everything else in perspective. And then lastly, we saw from Isaiah that, that because he had been given God's words, he gave God's words to other people. He, he bound them up and he sealed them to, to God's disciples. And, and, and so a biblical disciple is focused on reproduction, right? We, we talked about someone truly following Christ is going to take what they've been given and then look for faithful people to give it to. In other words, discipleship shouldn't end with me. If I got discipled and somebody invested the Word of God in me and God used a discipler or a pastor or a ministry leader to help me grow, man, I'm accountable. I need to do something with that. I have to give it to, to faithful people who will be faithful with it, okay? And then, and then last week, we spent some time in Luke and we talked about the worth of a disciple. And, and we were in Luke chapter 14. And in Luke chapter 14, Christ gives some pretty hard sayings that if you don't count the cost, you can't be my disciple. And I didn't say it. Jesus said it, man. But, but we have to say, man, there's a cost. In order to follow him, we have to consider what it's going to cost to follow Christ. And, and in that passage, God gives us a couple of things that we have to consider. Number one, we, we have to consider our relationships. And, and we looked at that passage in Luke 14, and, and Jesus said, hey, listen, if you don't hate your father and your mother and your children and your brothers and your sisters, you can't be my disciple. Now, we saw that that didn't, that didn't jive with Paul's epistles and all of its scripture, by the way. So why, why, why is there seem to be a contradiction in that? Well, well, Paul tells us to honor our parents and to raise our children and to love our children and to love our, our husbands and to love our wives. The issue is, who do you love the most? And as a disciple, I have to have Christ in the right place in my life. He has to have the preeminence. He has to be first place and no exception. And when Christ is in first place, when he has the preeminence, the Bible says, in my life, every other relationship is in its right place. If anything is before Christ in my life, my child, my spouse, my friends, that's idolatry. Now, we don't look at it like that, but that's what it is, because Christ doesn't have the preeminence. I love something or someone more than Christ. And Christ says, no, listen, you, you have to love me the most because I'm the one that gave you the most. I gave you, we just sang about it. Thank you, Jesus, man, for the blood applied. See, your, your spouse couldn't save you from your sin. Your kid couldn't save you from your sin. Your friends, your hobbies, none of those things could save you from your sin. It had to be Christ's blood. And if you've accepted his free gift of salvation, why would you not love him more than anything because he loved you more than anything, and he laid his life down for you. And so listen, disciples count the cost of their relationships, and they count the cost of what it means to follow Christ. And God gave us in Luke 14 two examples. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to fill time. I'm trying to get us caught up to speed so that we can be ready for today. But, but he gave us two illustrations in Luke 14. He said, some of you are going to build a building but listen, if you don't sit down and count the cost of what it takes to finish it, it becomes a mockery. 
And you guys have probably seen that out in the county or sometimes even the city, man. Somebody will start building a home or they'll start building a business and they lay the foundation and maybe they even frame it. And then it sits there for months and it's never finished. And you look at that and you're like, what happened? Did they run out of money? Did they run out of financing? Did the, the construction crews quit? What happened? And you, without, without being intentional, you begin to mock that. It's like, man, that, that, that's been sitting there for years. Why isn't it finished? Following Christ is the same way. You see, we have to sit down and we have to count the cost of not just laying the foundation. Salvation is our foundation in Christ. But what we build on that foundation is discipleship. And you've got to count the cost of what it's going to cost to follow Christ. And then he gives the illustration of going to battle. And again, he talks about two kings, one's warring against another. And he says, man, a king has to sit down and count the cost of what it's going to cost to fight a war. Because he doesn't want to get into that battle and lose all of his men. And he doesn't want to get into that battle and lose the fight. He doesn't want to lose. And, and, and so, man, following Christ is going to cost us. All right, so you're in Mark chapter 6, right? That, that really was me giving you time to find Mark chapter 6. And so let me ask you a question as we get started this morning. Have you ever been tired? Now listen, it's, it's like 1047, man. You can't be tired on Sunday. I mean, I know you didn't get up early. I mean, truthfully, like, like during the week, this is like the latest appointment you, I mean, this is easy on Sunday morning, no offense, except for maybe the worship team, they have to get here a little early, but, you know, but for the rest of us, right, uh, you know, church at 10, that ain't that hard. Let me ask you a question, have you ever been so tired that the messages started hitting your phone and you were like, eh, <laughs> I'm so tired, I don't want to deal with this. The phone rings, you don't answer. The texts come in, you don't answer. The email starts popping, you don't answer. Let me ask you this question. Has that ever happened when it was a ministry opportunity? Now, don't lie, all right? Don't lie. I'm guilty, and I'm a pastor, so I'll own my junk. There's been times where the phone dings, and I'm like, gosh, I'm so exhausted, and I don't want to deal with this, and not even knowing what this is. But in my mind, I just presume I know what's going to happen with, when I answer this call, right? Now, some of you don't understand what I'm talking about, but some of you do understand what I'm talking about. Here's what, here's what I want to communicate this morning. Ministry isn't for the faint of heart, and it's certainly not for the fake of heart. Here's the question that I want to propose to you as, as we get into the passage. Does weariness affect your willingness to work? Does weariness affect your willingness to work? And I don't mean your job. I'm talking about ministry. I'm talking about following Christ and being a part of his ministry. Listen, we all get tired. As a matter of fact, God even tells us in his word in two places that we should not be weary in well-doing. Galatians 6, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But here, here's what I want you to understand. As a follower of Christ, God has called us not only to believe in him for salvation, but as a disciple of Christ, we need to be doing some things in the ministry. A disciple does some things and has a willingness to work in the ministry. I mean, I mean the verses in Galatians 6 and 2 Thessalonians 3, I didn't have you turn there, but, but listen. They say, be not weary and well-doing, not well-believing. Right? Words matter. 
And so here's the point. As a believer in Christ, well, there ain't a whole lot you got to do. There's nothing you have to do to believe in Christ. But as a disciple of Christ, there are some things that you are going to be doing, not just believing. And as you start doing those things, the weariness is going to set in. And how you respond then makes all the difference in the world. And so, and so Mark chapter 6, let's, let's get the historical background of what we're studying this morning. i got to quit rambling and get to preaching so we can get done on time. But, but Mark chapter 6, look at verse 29, and, and this is the context in which we find the disciples. It says, when his disciples heard of it, they, they came and they took up his corpse. This is John the Baptist. He had just been killed. And they laid him in a tomb, and the apostles gathered themselves unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, now what we're doing is we're, we're coming up on the story in Mark 6. The disciples had been sent out by Christ, and he had given them power to preach and to teach and to heal. And we, we see that in Matthew chapter 10. As a matter of fact, he calls them his 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And as soon as he sends them, he changes their name to the 12 what? 12 apostles, because apostles are sent ones. And so, and so they had the, the power through Christ to do these things. Verses 5 through 8 tell you that they went to the house of Israel and they were preaching a kingdom of heaven message. Those of you that are students of the Bible, all of that should be landing. Here's the point. What happens in Mark chapter 6 is they come back from that assignment and they begin to report all that they had done and all that they had taught. Here's a key principle just from the historical context. Biblical disciples are willing to be accountable in ministry. Biblical disciples are willing to be accountable in ministry. So here's the question. What have you been given the opportunity to do or what have you been given the opportunity to teach? And then, and then you need to understand from that that you are accountable for that. You're accountable to Christ and you're accountable to church leadership. And so what we see in this passage in Mark 6 is a beautiful picture of accountability. Christ gave them the, the power and the authority to go do what they did and they did it. And they came back and they told Christ, here's what we did, here's what we taught. And, and so, you know, I don't want to run a rabbit trail, but you're accountable in church ministry for what you do and what you teach. So you don't have a free pass to do whatever you want and to teach whatever you want. There's accountability in the local church. And so, and so we see that even in the life of the disciples. Now, these dudes just came off an assignment and bro, they're tired. So much so that in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus recognizes it. And he says, come ye apart into a desert place and rest a while. And anybody that's ever done any ministry for any minute says, man, for real, like, for real, let's go rest a while, right? For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And I guarantee you, man, if you've ever felt like they felt I mean, it, it, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. No offense, Jack, but okay. And it also makes Jay a dull boy and Cody a dull boy and, Kyle and everybody else. Okay, and Jesus gets it, right? And so these dudes come off this assignment, and he says, come with me, let's go rest. The reason they needed rest is because they had been doing some things 
Okay, now pick it up in verse 33. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him and ran about thither out of their cities, and they outwent them, and they came together unto him. I mean, Jesus is trying to take his disciples across the sea and just spend time with them. And the multitudes of people see Christ leaving, and it's like a mob. They just follow him. And they didn't get on the ship. They actually went around the sea. The Bible says they actually outwent them, and they came to him. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw much people. He was moved with compassion toward them because they were sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, and the day was far spent. Check this out. His disciples came to him and said, uh, uh, Jesus, this is a desert place, and, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said to them, give ye them to eat. Wow. And, and, and then begins the, the, the conversation, well, how are we going to do that? It's interesting to me that, that this ministry opportunity comes on the heels of already accomplished ministry. And it comes on the, on, in, the, in, the, in the context of desiring to rest and desiring to get away with Christ. And when Christ sees these multitude of people come to Him, He's moved by them, He has compassion on them, He sees them as sheep with no shepherd. But listen, the disciples didn't see what Christ saw. The disciples saw something that was going to interfere with their rest. The disciples saw something that was going to interfere with their time alone with Christ. And what the disciples saw was, we ain't got enough time to deal with this problem. You know, you know in ministry, those things happen all the time. Listen, the day is spent, the time is short, and everybody's tired. If you ask me how I'm doing, nine times out of ten, if I'm not lying to you, I'm going to tell you, I'm tired. And, and truthfully, you can look at my face and figure that out. You could say tired and ugly, but I'd prefer you just land on the tired side, okay? Yeah, man, Who, who's not tired? I mean, these disciples hadn't got to rest. They haven't even got to eat. And now they have an opportunity to just be alone with Christ, which, by the way, every disciple wants. Every disciple wants that. And hang out with Christ. And now it's the people. And man, let me just tell you, people are never the problem in ministry. Perception is the problem in ministry. Christ had compassion the disciples were critical. And, and we don't have time. We don't have money. We can't get involved in this situation. And, and let me just give you some key ministry principles. And I know that I'm talking mostly to disciples in this room this morning. But man, listen, if you've been on the receiving end of people ministering to you, you need to be thankful that somebody made the hard decision to serve Christ by serving you. Okay. So get the key principle, man. This will help us. Biblical disciples have margin in their lives to minister because ministry doesn't run on a schedule. you got to have margin in your life. 
And man, listen, we're all busy. The truth is we're all too busy. What we're, what we're too busy to do is to do ministry. And ministry doesn't run nine to five, man. It doesn't carry bank hours or 10 to five now, whatever the banks run now. And some of us that like schedules don't like that. Because, man, we go home, we close the garage, and we don't have to worry about it until tomorrow. And we veg out on Netflix or Disney+, and we mentally and spiritually check out. Can I just tell you, I had a conversation this week with a friend, and, and he talked about a pastor that went to a mall to evangelize and just share the gospel. And as he went to the mall and he began to meet people, here was the question. Do you have five minutes that I could talk to you. And he said what happened was very interesting. All the people that didn't know Christ and didn't know the Lord and, and weren't connected to a church or anything, they had five minutes. As a matter of fact, they had more time. The people that didn't have five minutes is us, Christians. So, so that tells me that if the lost world has time, and Christians don't, how do we ever connect people to Christ? Hello? Ministry doesn't run nine to five. And, and listen, when the phone rings and the email comes and the text comes across, you and I get to make a choice. And man, we get mad because our schedule gets interrupted. But listen, that, that perspective has to shift because now there's an opportunity to minister on Christ's behalf. But get this question in your notes. How many opportunities do we miss because we don't have a ministry mindset? And I dare say we miss a lot. How about it? We miss a lot. We miss a lot. Now I need you to turn to John chapter 6 because... Because historically, that's what's happening in this passage. But I want to, I want to tell you, this, this is the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Many of you know what's about to shake out right here. You need to understand why God put this in your Bible. God wanted you to understand that Christ certainly has power to feed his people. But, but there's something deeper that, that God doctrinally wants us to see from this feeding of the 5,000. And we get this out of John chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. It says, When Jesus lift, lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company come to him... He said unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to what? To prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. And Jesus answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And so before we get into the application, I do want you to know that, that this example in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, parallels what God has done in the Old Testament and it actually points to the future of how God's going to feed his people again. God, and here's the key. God throughout the Bible has a pattern of miraculously feeding his people. This, this is Old Testament. This is Christ's ministry. And actually it points to the future because God is going to do the same, same thing again. So many of you know the story of, of the manna in the Old Testament, right? If you know that story, raise your hand. Hey, I know the story of the manna in the Old Testament. Listen, God provided manna in the wilderness to the nation of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, he gave, the, by the way, they did that through the blood of a lamb, right? It's a picture of salvation. And then God fed his people in the wilderness. There was no food, there was no water, Exodus 16. 
They came uh, in their journey from Elam, and the congregation and the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They must have been Baptist. Okay, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. We sat by the flesh pots. We did eat bread to the full. You've brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. Check this out. That I may, that I may what? I may prove them. What, what's God going to prove by his feeding? Whether or not they're going to walk in my law or no. That's very interesting to me. So, so God gave provision, but he gave provision to prove whether or not his people would follow him. So, so we see that in the Old Testament. We're going to see it in John's Gospel. And, and other examples, again, for time's sake, you see another picture of this. When God used a Gentile woman to feed Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah was a Jewish prophet. There was a famine in the land. God used a Gentile to feed Elijah. And this, this, this meal and this oil that she had was nothing. She was, she was out. She was about to die. And God miraculously provided for her as she provided for Elijah. God worked through this woman to feed Elijah. Prophetically, all these things point to God going to feed his people Israel in the future during the tribulation period. And again, man, if you're not a student of the Bible or if you're a brand new Christian, don't worry about this right now. But listen, God has a plan and a pattern that he always takes care of his people and Israel specifically in the Old Testament was, was taken care of by God. And in the, in, the, in the time of tribulation in the future, during the rule of the Antichrist, God's still going to focus in on his nation of Israel and make sure that they're provided for. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. God is going to take care of his people. He patterned himself to provide provision. And every time he does that, it's to prove whether or not we're going to follow or not. Can I just tell you that God does that even today, devotionally? Can I tell you every Sunday, God feeds us from his word? God gives us something from his word to chew on, so to speak. It's spiritual food. But God gives us his provision to prove whether or not we're going to follow him. That means when we walk out of here, man, we ought to have something that God has given us that we can apply to our life. He's fed us spiritually so that we can walk out and be disciples of Christ. And, and so now go back to, to John chapter 6. And, and again, you've got some other references you can run, but for time's sake, we need to go. You're not listening fast enough uh, this morning. So here's the problem, man. There's a multitude of people. The disciples are weary. Christ has compassion. And now Christ is initiating this ministry opportunity, and it's ruining everything for the disciples. Jacking up my schedule, I'm tired, I ain't got no money. What are we supposed to do? Well, well here's, here's the principles that we need to understand. Number one, biblical, biblical disciples must be proven in ministry. Biblical disciples must be proven in ministry. These disciples had already been following Christ. They'd heard his teaching 
They had participated a little bit in his ministry, but their proving process was not complete. And and so Philip answers in verse 7, hey, listen, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for all these people, that every one of them may have how much? A little. I I mean, Philip is like, in your notes, he is the pessimistic disciple. He's the guy that looked at the situation, and by the way, Christ is trying to prove him, and his response is pessimistic attitude. I know nobody in this room has that. It's only the live stream viewers, and and now they've just tuned off. But, But listen, this is the dude, this is the disciple that's against anything new. He's the guy that doesn't want to change his schedule. Man, we, Jesus, you said we get to rest and eat. And now we have to serve. What gives? I mean, this is the type of disciple that has no vision for the miraculous, no vision for the impossible, and no willingness even to try. And he's a disciple. Man, I mean, listen, Philip, including all the other 12 or, or 11, they've already seen the sick healed, they've already seen the dead raised, and they've already been a part of preaching the gospel of the kingdom. How do you move from being a participant to now being pessimistic in ministry? Well, the same thing happens to us. You know what happens? We get weary. We get weary. And then all of a sudden, man, we don't want any new opportunity for any type of ministry anywhere. We say things like, man, our church is big enough. By the way, if you've ever said that, I hope you didn't say it around me because I probably exploded on you. I will, I will explode on you, just for the record, if I ever hear you say that. Our church is big enough. What that means is, hell can have the rest. Now, you have developed a pessimistic attitude in relation to ministry. You've got so pessimistic that there's, there's just no way impossible to do anything else. Well, secondly, we see a dude in verses 8 and 9 named Andrew. He's the pragmatic disciple. So one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, saith unto Christ, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So, so Andrew is the pragmatic disciple, where, where Philip is the pessimist. Hey, nothing's going to work. Andrew is the realist. Here's what we have. It's not enough. Captain Obvious is Andrew. Okay, okay. He's attempting to solve the problem with pragmatic reasoning. Here's what we have, but it's obviously not not enough. Again, he's defeated, he's faithless, and he's fleshly, and he's not really willing to risk it all or to give it all to see what Christ can do. But there is a third disciple who's not named in this story. And he is a disciple, and he's this lad. He's a follower of Christ, and he is the participating disciple because they found out that there's a dude that packed a lunch that day, and he has five barley loaves and two fishes, right? And and, and it's obvious this dude is willing to give everything that he had. He's willing to give everything that he has to Christ, not knowing how God's going to use it. Listen, when you read this story, it it begs the question, is this dude the only dude that packed a lunch? 
Like, seriously. Like, like, why is one dude out of all those disciples packing a lunch? He's like, what do you got over there? I got, I got five loaves and two fishes. My, I wonder many times if, if those disciples just weren't willing to give if they had anything. Maybe they didn't have anything. But this dude was willing to give everything he had. And, and he was willing to give it to Christ, not knowing how Christ was going to use it. And so here's a key in your notes that you need to get down. Our greatest ability as a disciple of Christ just our availability. It's just our availability, man. What are, you, what are you willing to give to Christ? And can I just tell you, just like in Jesus' day, all three of those dis- dis- types of disciples were present. The pessimist, the pragmatic, and the participating disciple. And listen, this morning at CFBC, we got all three types of disciples in this room. The question is, which one are you? Man, we got some Phillips in the room, and I love you, but listen, we got some Phillips that won't do anything because they don't think anything will ever make any impact. We got to have more money, more gear, more buildings, more materials, more strategy. You live in the world of impossible, and it mobilizes you from a participating in the mission. Man, Listen, some of you are Philip this morning, and God's proving you because he already knows what he's going to do. The question is, do you get to be a part of it? Man, we got some Andrews in the room this morning, and the reality is you're so pragmatic that it limits your potential. You're so pragmatic it limits your potential because you're looking through the lens of your fleshly eyes instead of Christ's power. And you've already experienced Christ's power. You've seen God save your soul. You've seen God fill you with His Holy Spirit. You've seen God use you in ministry. Why stop now? Why stop trusting Him now? Man, you get this mindset that we're too small, we're too limited. I mean, what could a small church do for God in such a big world? Or what could a small church do for God in such a big city? I mean, we're the smallest church in town. Okay, who cares? We serve the biggest God in the universe. And then, man, listen, there are some lads in this room. And listen, you don't need recognition. You don't even need your name mentioned. You don't need the recognition, but all you want to be is right in the middle of whatever Christ is doing. And you see, when I look at those three disciples, I come to this conclusion for me. I would rather be a lad with a little than a Philip full of pessimism. Does that make sense? That's who I want to be, man. And so, and so God is going to prove out these disciples. That's part of our growth. That, that's the hard part of discipleship is that we have to get proven by Christ himself. Two areas where God's going to prove us. Number one, disciples get proven in the area of God's word. We get proven in the word of God. Can't fake it till you make it, man. Let me, let me just share a couple of verses quickly. 1 Corinthians 11, when, when Paul's addressing the Corinthian church, one of the things that he talks about is that in that church there were heresies. There were false teachings in a church. And, and we would all say, man, that, that's weird. How, how could a church have false teaching? Well, there were heresies among you. He says that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. I want you to understand that, that one of the ways that you're proven as a disciple of Christ 
is that you're proven in the Word of God. You can rightly divide Scripture and recognize heresy. Can you do that? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto who? Unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Are you proven in the word of God? Now listen, if you're a brand new believer, nobody expects you to be proven. You've been saved for 20 years. You need to be proven in God's word. You need to be able to understand God's Word. And maybe you came from a place that you didn't have discipleship and, and a process to help you grow. Listen, we want you to grow. But man, one area you're going to have to grow is in the Word of God. You're going to have to know right doctrine. You're going to have to be able to defend what you believe according to the sound teaching of God's words. That is a maturing process. That's a proving process. That's why we don't let just anybody teach. No offense. Like, if you're going to serve in children's ministry, we kind of have it tiered to where when you start teaching, there's requirements from you that you've been discipled and you've been through MTT and that you kind of know how to handle your Bible. Because if there's heresy back there, there's going to be a problem. It's going to conflict. You can't just teach what you want. You're accountable and you need to know how to teach and we want to empower you. Are you growing in God's Word? Number two, disciples need to be proven in the work of God. They need to be proven in the work of God. Now, now this is going to be the remainder of the message, the last little few minutes here, and then we're done, and we're going to observe the Lord's Supper this morning. But in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So, So God has called us to His Word, but God has also called us to his work. And the way that you prove yourself as a disciple is you get involved in his work. And you, ha- you have to ask the question, what's his work? What is the work of the Lord? Well, it's the work the Lord was working when he was working. And that's what the work of the Lord is. Again, it's, it's the last part of the message. But 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how Christ Jesus is in you, except ye be reprobates. And so, and so it, it's important for a believer to ask this question. Number one, am I proficient in God's words? Don't answer out loud. Am I proficient in God's work? Don't answer out loud. That's how God proves us. That's what approves you as a disciple of Christ. That's what approves me as a disciple of Christ. Let me ask you a question. If I couldn't lead a person to Christ, do you think I have any business being your pastor? If if I couldn't actually open my Bible and teach sound doctrine, do you think I have any business being your pastor? Now listen, I need to have a character that backs that up, by the way. But character alone doesn't prove out proficiency. Character is part of the, the requirement. Not being a novice and being proficient is the other part. And so as the disciple of Christ, we have to prove ourselves out, which gets to the point, let's, let's get to it and we're done. Biblical disciples, point number two. I only had two points today because I knew I'd run out of time. Point number two, biblical disciples participate in biblical ministry. They participate in biblical ministry. Look at verse 11, we're done. We're going to wrap it up right here. Jesus took the loaves. Who gave him the loaves? 
The lad gave it to the disciples. The disciples gave it to Jesus, right? This lad is just like, hey, I want to get on board. Whatever's about to happen, here's what I got. Just take it. So they, Jesus took the loaves when he given thanks. He distributed the disciples. The disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So, so Christ took the bread and the fish. He broke it. He blessed it. He gave it to his disciples. They gave it to the multitudes. Do you see the, the, the flow? Okay. Man, his disciples had to learn to participate in biblical ministry. Get this key in your notes. There's only two things in the Bible that Jesus Christ ever multiplied. Fish and bread. He only multiplied fish and bread. And that's very interesting. You, you have to ask the question, why did Christ do that? Well, fish are a picture of men in the Bible. God, God tells us in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is calling the disciples, he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of what? Of men. So, so men are fish and we need to go fishing. Now, now some of us love fishing, like physically, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But man, we got to go fishing for men. And you ain't going to catch that with like a fly rod or, you know, a, a hook, line, and sinker type thing. You catch them with the gospel, right? Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, when, when God deals with Simon Peter, he says unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Okay, so you run this thing through the Bible, and you see in Acts chapter 6 that what happened in Acts chapter 6 is that disciples, men, multiplied. Acts 6 and verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, Acts 6 and verse 7, the Word of God increased, and the number of the disciples, what? Multiplied. So what do we learn from the feeding of the 5,000? God multiplies fish. That's, that's one of the things that he multiplied in the Bible. And that's men that were called to reach. Number two, the second thing he multiplies is bread. And bread is a picture of the Word of God. And you see that in Matthew chapter 4. He answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Look at Acts 12 and verse 24. It says, The word of God grew and multiplied. It's fish and bread. It's fish and loaves, man. It's fish and chips. That's what it is. What kind of ministry do you have at Community Fellowship? We got, we got fish and chips. That's all we got. What's on the menu? Fish and chips. That's all we got. Why? Those are the only two things that Christ multiplied. Now, now, listen. The prosperity gospel preachers are preaching that Jesus is going to multiply your pocketbook. That's just not biblical. And you can't prove that biblically, but God did multiply some things, and what he multiplied was loaves and fish. And those are the only two things. And biblical ministry is just fish and loaves, man. It's fish and chips. It's evangelism and discipleship. It's winning people to Christ and giving them God's Word. And listen, I don't know what you're looking for in a church but Jesus' church is going to be focused on evangelism and discipleship. Nothing more, but certainly nothing less. In other words, if you're catching fish without feeding them, you aren't fulfilling biblical ministry. And if you feed the saints without fishing, you aren't fulfilling biblical ministry. And herein lies the problem. 
Because the problem is, God's people consume themselves with everything except those things. See, we're all busy, right? Everybody's busy. But we're so busy, we can't share the gospel, and we're so busy that we won't disciple anybody. Friend, I think you might be too busy. Let me just say it like this, if it's not clear, I like to speak plain. If you're not evangelistic, you're not a disciple of Christ. You're not. I don't care how much Bible you can spout off. I don't care how much doctrine you can defend. I don't, how, I don't care how right you think you are. If you don't have a burden to reach the lost with the gospel and act on that, you are not following Christ. Period. I don't care how many Bible studies you go to, how many books you read, how much MacArthur you can quote or Ruckman you can quote. I could care less. If you are not sharing the gospel with the lost people in this world, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the implication is if you're not fishing, you're not following. And, and friend, listen, if you're not discipling others, well, you're not being a biblical disciple either. If you're not willing to be discipled so that you can make disciples, you're not a biblical disciple. And listen, maybe you're saying, well, I can't do that. I can't disciple somebody else. You're absolutely right. But what you can do is just give, you, give, give to Christ what God has given you. And trust God in his proficiency. See, the problem isn't your ability, it's your availability to surrender all to Christ. Now, now see, this is where the series on discipleship gets hard. Because it's approving, Right? Here's a, here's a discipler principle. What happened in this story? Those disciples had to make those men sit down in 50s. And, and let me just give you a free principle because we're out of time. But listen, your ability to feed men is going to be dependent on your ability to lead men. In other words, when you, when you look at this passage, the only way they were able to feed these men was to lead them to sit down in groups of 50. What that means is they had to be able to lead men. You can't feed who you can't lead. You got the verses in Mark 6, Luke chapter 9. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus wants you to have not only favor with God, but you got to be able to have favor with men. And, and can I just tell you, this world's so jacked up, and Christians are so jacked up, not you, but the, the other ones, are so jacked up in this culture, they can't even carry on a conversation with another human being. And we wonder why we can't win people to Christ. Because you don't have favor with people. You can't lead who you don't have favor with. You think people are going to follow you just because you have a position? And that's the worst kind of leadership. You can't, you can't feed who you can't lead. Number two. So, so listen, in the context of discipleship, You've got to be able to lead the dude you're discipling. Not just puke a lesson out on him. Hello? You've got to be able to lead him. You can't feed who you can't lead. In church, man, listen, 
We have people that were raising up in ministry, praise God for that. But if you follow them only because they have a position, that's the worst type of leadership there is. They ought to have favor with you so that you're willing to follow them. And that's the discipler perspective. But let me flip the script a little bit and and talk about the people that need to be discipled. And and those are the people that needed to be fed by Christ, the 5,000 plus. Well, here's the principle for you as a disciple. Listen, your ability to feast will be dependent on your ability to focus. In other words, men that can't sit down can't be served and, and won't be satisfied. And, and I know we live in a culture, man, where we got the attention span of a gnat. You hate, you hate those things, right? They're just constantly moving. I don't, I don't know how God put those little things together, man. They're annoying, quite honestly. They never land because if they land, you smack them. They're always just buzzing around. And that's most of us in this culture. Can I just tell you that if we don't learn to focus, to sit down and receive what God has for us, we're never going to grow. We can't feast when we can't focus. And I know some of you are looking at your clock right now saying, man, when are we going to get up out of here? You need to focus on what God has for you. You need to focus that God's proving you. You don't get to feast when you can't focus. My favorite statement ever about ministry and discipleship. Here's the statement. I hope you've never said it. Again, there's things if I hear you say, man, we're not going to be friends. If you've ever made this statement, you're wrong. Discipleship doesn't work. (laughs) Really? Well, it may not have worked with you, but it most certainly works. The reason I know that is because Jesus did it, and he had disciples. And the reason we're here today is because faithful disciples throughout the generations have been faithful to disciple. And the reason I'm here is because somebody was faithful to disciple, and by God's grace, I'm going to be faithful to disciple. You see, discipleship works. The challenge is we have a feeding problem. We don't sit down long enough to actually hear what God has for us. And a one-hour sermon is about all we can handle. Hello? Man, listen, can I just tell you, what a miracle. God took what was available, and God prepared bread from heaven, man. He took that bread, He took that fish, He did this miracle, He multiplied it as only He could. And God does that every week in this place. Man, God gives us bread from heaven. He gives us the word of God, but some of us miss it because we're not here. We can't sit still. We can't get off our phone. We can't stop talking, and we don't have ears to hear. And we wonder why we leave church unfilled. And we'll blame the preacher, and we'll blame the ministry model, and we'll blame the worship pastor, and we'll blame our discipler. I'm telling you right now, only those that learn to sit will be served and leave satisfied. I wish I had another hour. So what happens when a lad gives a little to the Lord? Mark 6 and verse 42. Here's this dude that's just full of faith, man. He wants to get on board with what God's doing. All he's got is a little. That's all he's got to give. He's just got a little bit to give. But he gave it to the Lord. What happened? 
Bible says in Mark 6 and verse 42, they did all eat and they were filled. You remember, you remember Aunt, uh, Philip's statement? Man, 200 penny worth of bread is not enough that they even get a bite, like a little. No, actually, they had a feast. They, they, they fed until they were full. Mark 6 verse 44 says, listen, those men were about 5,000. That's not counting the women and the children. Listen, what kind of disciple are you? Are you a weary disciple? Some of you are, man. I've been there. Some of you are weary, man. And when you get weary, it makes you pessimistic or makes you pragmatic, and it makes you disengage from what God's doing in this place. My, my prayer is that we all be that lad. And whatever God's given you, man, he's given you the gospel, and he's given you a little bit of the word of God. Just be faithful with that. Be faithful with that. And give it to Christ. And listen, through you and in spite of you, God can get the glory. You know, at the end of that miracle, at the end of that miracle, those dudes realized who Christ was. And John 6, it says in verse 14, when they seen the miracle that Jesus did, they said, this is a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. As much as that miracle was about the multitudes, that miracle proved who Christ was to the disciples. And I'm thankful for that. So this morning, we're going to receive, our, our, uh, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. I'm going to ask our deacons to come and any ushers that we need to help. And um, man, as we, we talk about feasting, you know, God's given us the ordinance of the Lord's Supper to, to remember what Christ has done for us. He shed his body. He shed his blood. First Corinthians chapter 11 tells us.